0: Welcome to the fourth of our short explainers for the Hunger Vital Sign tool. This episode will explain a bit more about what we mean when we say the Hunger Vital Sign is a reliable screening tool. I'm your host, Helen Laban. And to help with the explanations, we have a guest expert from the organization that created the Hunger Vital Sign.
1: I'm Richard Sheward, Director of Innovative Partnerships at Children's Health Watch.
0: The previous episodes covered what's meant when we say the Hunger Vital Sign is a valid screening tool one that is predictive of both food insecurity status and poor health outcomes. I promise you that those were the most complicated episodes of the entire series. It's smooth sailing from here. This episode looks at whether the hunger vital sign is reliable. Reliability is important in a few regards. The most obvious is that when a healthcare practice is looking at screening tools, they want the results found in other places to translate to their location. That's a combination of the tool itself and how it's implemented. Some reliability elements were included in the initial research. For example, the large size of the sample, the tests performed across multiple cities and different healthcare environments, and providing the screener in English, Spanish, and Somali. But you can't do everything in the first round. So another element of reliability comes from how the Hunger Vital Sign researchers set up the project to encourage additional research. For example, demonstrating its efficacy across different age groups or testing what happens with changes to wording testing is ongoing and builds on what happened before. Another reason to care about reliability is that it's the first step towards creating a standardized screening tool.
1: So one way that standardization happens is when you have a previously validated test or tool, in this case, the hunger vital sign, that is continually administered in the same manner and shows consistently reliable results again and again. And this gets to some of the subsequent research by others unaffiliated with Children's Health Watch that I mentioned previously that use the hunger vital sign to demonstrate reliable results, not just in households with young children, but adolescents uh, through the research of Tamara Bear and others as well as adults through the research of uh, Hillary Seligman, Craig Gunderson, and others. And so to replicate results over time in either the same populations or different populations, we're able to see the consistency in that standard manner, which leads to uh, what we would consider a standardized tool.
0: This reliability step in standardization can be challenging. Did you know that the standardized version of an inch began as equal to three barleycorns, evolved to be the width of a man's thumb averaged over comparing three hands of different sizes, went through several iterations and did not reach the current standard until the 1960s? It is 25.4 millimeters. The millimeter is based on a meter, which in turn is defined by how far light travels in a vacuum over a particular fraction of a second with some accommodations for the effects predicted by general relativity. No, I'm not going to attempt to explain more than that. I just want everyone to be happy we aren't discussing something as complicated as a ruler. Also, in case you're wondering, scientists are currently working on new ways to measure time that will work in other solar systems. I don't know what that will do to the meter, millimeter, and subsequently, the inch. Given that the hunger vital sign will not be used in deep space, we can take a more pragmatic view of proving out its reliability. Let's start with the ways that it remains in active research.
1: One thing that's been really exciting to see is the proliferation of research and the building of the evidence base around the hunger vital sign since the Children's Health Watch Group uh, developed it and validated it in 2010. In the years that followed, the hunger vital sign questions have been validated in adolescent populations and they've also been validated in the general adult population by other researchers. Other researchers have also uh, examined the response options between the three-item response versus a binary yes or no response to understand how changing the questions would affect the validity, the sensitivity, and specificity of the tool. And so we've been really excited about the Ongoing research and development of understanding best practices, and one thing that we've done at Children's Health Watch to help foster and promote that continued evolution of future research uh, was to create a national community of practice centered around the hunger vital sign that we at Children's Health Watch co-convene with the Food Research and Action Center (FRAC) to facilitate conversations and importantly, collective action around a wide range of stakeholders who are interested in understanding how to properly identify and then address food insecurity through a healthcare and a community lens. And so our goal is to rapidly share the leading best practices and data on food insecurity screening and interventions and hopefully scale what works.
0: Let's take those examples of ongoing research in a few categories. First, as promised in our introduction, while the hunger vital sign began as validated for use with young children, subsequent research expanded across age groups up to adult. In a healthcare context, screening adult patients may play out very differently than with young children because this group is more likely to show diet-related health conditions or preconditions. In this context, The invisible factor being brought to light is what barriers exist that might prevent patients from feeling they have a choice in what treatment plan to follow, or even prevent them from thinking they have any treatment options at all.
1: What I've seen is clinicians utilizing the hunger vital sign as a tool to identify the prevalence of food insecurity in either a given population or particular patients. And to make the connection between food insecurity and certain chronic health conditions like diabetes, which would then warrant or trigger acceptance into some intervention, whether it's a medically tailored meal program or medically prescribed meal program or a preventive food pantry pilot or application to SNAP or WIC or some uh, nutritional intervention. Oftentimes, the hunger vital sign is used as a way to identify that link and then trigger some action or intervention to address that nutrition-related issue.
0: There is also testing of how the tool translates to different communities and cultures, not just if the words are translated, but if the meaning and cultural response is the same. For some demographics, there are tests for different scenarios, such as adolescents with or without a guardian present. There's also research where it isn't the group of patients changing, but the screen itself. For example, hunger vital sign appears as part of what we might call a composite screen, putting together tools for different risks. Unstable housing, or lack of transportation, or difficulty affording medications, for example. It combines those into one screen. We also have examples of what happens when the original screening tool is modified. Two common changes are asking only one question, or changing the three-part answer into a yes-no choice. The issue of deviating from asking two questions was addressed in the original research. Remember, the goal there was to shorten the gold standard food insecurity tool, called the HFSS, to be as brief as possible. That meant testing variations on the original 18-question survey tool. And in fact, from other researchers with other needs, you also see 12, 10, and six-question versions, and going in the other direction, 23-question versions. In our case, the researchers wanted to get it as short as possible.
1: So in the process of developing the hunger vital sign, we generated cross-tabulation tables for the first two questions of the HFSS to examine sensitivity and specificity. We explored four specific combinations and found that an affirmative response to the first question only Or the second question only of the HFSS provided a sensitivity of 93% or 82% and a specificity of 85% or 95% respectively.
0: In other words, the study began with parameters setting an acceptable threshold for how often the tool missed somebody who was food insecure or incorrectly flagged someone who wasn't food insecure. And yes, they erred on the side of not missing people. With testing for different question combinations, asking only one question fell outside the boundaries for acceptable performance. Subsequent research has also added questions, but did not find improved performance. And in practice, we'd expect diminishing returns with more detailed questions, since the screen is only supposed to be a first step to a more detailed conversation. Changing the wording on the response from often, sometimes, never to yes, no has been tested separately.
1: And there's been research looking into this. In 2017, a study was published in the American Journal of Public Health. Uh, The lead author was Jennifer Makalarski, and it provides a cautionary tale as to why seemingly minor alterations are actually ill-advised. So what they did was they replaced the three-part response options to both the HFSS and the hunger vital sign with simplified yes or no options. And what they found was that the yes or no response option resulted in missing nearly a quarter of food insecure adults.
0: Missing a quarter is a big margin of error. That level of error resembles my ill-fated attempt to learn multivariable calculus in high school. Except, the only consequences of those tests were me feeling bitter about it for 25 years, and being saved from the goodwill-hunting-inspired idea that I might enter college as a math major. The consequences of getting food insecurity screening wrong could matter a lot more. We'll talk about those consequences in the next episode. These results on the answers phrasing also get to another area of research that we will touch on later. That's the research into best practices for implementing a screening tool. One hypothesis for why the three-choice phrasing matters is that it makes it easier for patients to answer truthfully.
1: It needs to have a certain level of acceptability, meaning that that tool is not embarrassing, socially unacceptable, that it's acceptable to the individual completing it.
0: Acceptability is also about clarity on the fact that food security is a range. True or false, those options are so stark. Sometimes, though, that seems reasonable. Most people go through these types of calculations. I smoke cigars mostly in summer, when I can be outside, so not a lot, certainly not every day, or even every season, but sometimes. If a screen asks me to answer yes or no to tobacco use, then sure, technically the answer is yes. Still, my inner rationalization doesn't have a hard time telling me that the healthcare provider doesn't really mean my kind of tobacco use, and maybe they don't. I don't know. If I mark sometimes, then perhaps we'll have a follow-up conversation about it. Other elements of how the hunger vital sign is presented can impact acceptability, which we'll get to later in the series. A key element is whether the patient expects the answer matters, that it will result in a positive change to how their health is supported. Remember the ultimate goal from the first episode.
1: I hope that structural social safety nets are adequate and robust enough to address food insecurity when it's identified
0: Let's recap reliability as we work towards that goal. Reliability is both relevant for individual practices looking for a tool to use, and as the first step towards broader use and possible standardization. Some elements of reliability trace back to the original research, which pulled from a large patient sample in different environments over years of data collection. Since that original research, different teams have tried out variations on the tool, This is how we move beyond the application for only children into all age groups. It's also how we know that the tool stops being valid with changes to the questions and to the options for answers. Research related to the hunger vital sign continues today. Next up, we'll ask how we know the hunger vital sign tool is useful, and then we'll get closer to the standardization question by asking whether the tool remains valid, reliable, and useful as its use expands to become common in healthcare practices across the country. You can find more resources on these topics, plus other episodes, by clicking on the link in the show notes.